Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your host, Ambassador Harry Thomas. And I'm Chief Alex Morales. Harry, who do we have today? We have Brigadier General, U.S. Army retired Hector Pagan, who is the president of Down South Consulting, LLC. He was born in New York and raised in Puerto Rico. He was commissioned as an infantry officer from the ROTC program at the University of Puerto Rico at Mayaguez, where he was a distinguished military student and graduate. He attended the infantry officer's basic course and ranger school. Brigadier General Pagan served in Operation Just Cause and deployed to El Salvador. Upon completion of the U.S. Army War College, Brigadier General Pagan took command of the 5th Special Operations Forces Group Airborne in Baghdad during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He led the 5th Special Forces Group Airborne in combat as the commander of the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Arabian Peninsula for two combat tours in 2003 and 2004. In 2005, Brigadier General Pagan commanded the Special Operations Command South, where he oversaw Special Operations Forces deployments in Latin America. My General, welcome to the spotlight. We are honored to have you here. Uh, For me, Harry, this is an honor because I got one of my mentors in the military, a person who I uh, admire, who I really believe is an epitome of a commission officer. So, General, welcome to the spotlight. It's a pleasure to be with you and, and Harry, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, it's a great day to, uh, to be with you and finally get to uh, see you, if only virtual. And, uh, and this is wonderful what you're doing to get the word out to others and maybe a little bit of conversation that we have together today will help somebody. Awesome. Well, let's start right away, bottom line of front. Can you please uh, tell our audience, uh, tell us about yourself, sir? Well, I was born in Manhattan, New York, to uh, a Puerto Rican family. My father, Hector, and my mother, Olga, met in New York. They married, and uh, so they had me and a sister and a brother. And when I was about five, my dad decided it was time to uh, go back to the island. In, in the type of movement that normally runs contrary to most Puerto Ricans who go from the island to back then to New York. We went from New York to the island. And uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico. I went to school from kindergarten to college. And uh, I joined the Army from Puerto Rico. And uh, like Harry said, I started as an infantry officer. And, uh, and I spent 31 years in the Army. Of those 31 years, uh, over 24, I, I served as a Green Beret in Special Forces. And um, it was a wonderful, wonderful life. And uh, if I could, I'd do it all over again. And um, I have a 41-year-old girl 
named Carla, who has a daughter. And I got a 39-year-old boy named Hector. He has a daughter. They live nearby. And now in retirement, I teach with the Joint Special Operations University, which is like the academic arm to the Special Operations Command. And I go to a lot of soccer games and softball games, and I try to do all the things <laughs> that I probably couldn't do for my kids, and now I can do for my grandkids. That's wonderful. Awesome. That's wonderful, sir. Of course, I grew up listening to uh, the Green Beret song. So what made you want to become a Green Beret officer? You know, the uh, when I was a cadet, the uh, great a great portion of the cadre of the instructors were special forces guys. And, uh, and they were all Vietnam veterans. And I think my exposure to those great soldiers got me thinking about it. And, uh, and I remember one afternoon in class when I probably should have been paying attention to the course. <laughs> I'm not sure that if I passed it or not, but I wrote, on a piece of paper, Airborne Ranger Special Forces. And I said, this is what I want to be. Uh, not really knowing and much other than the stories that I heard and, uh, and how short these guys were. And uh, when I was a cadet, and, and there were some of those people that I looked, looked up to them and I said, you know, when I get a chance, I want to be like that guy. And uh, so I thought of the easiest, the most straightforward way to become a Green Beret was to start as an infantry officer. And I did that. And as soon as I could see clear to, uh, to sort of shift courses, I went into special forces. And, uh, and I never looked back, you know, and, and this, I lived, I lived a life that that a lot of people would just die for, and and I, I lived I lived a life of stuff that you read in books and you watch in movies, and uh, you know, and the and the army became, I wouldn't call it a second family, it became a parallel family to my family, and. Um, and I had a very understanding wife who's still still married to me, and uh, <laughs> and I still have. I told you my forty nine, my my forty one and thirty nine year old children who still want to talk to me and spend time with me. So, I believe that somewhere along the line, I found a way to keep some balance in my life, so I can do the things that were demands of my job and still be there for my uh, family. And uh, and now, I mean, next February, I'll be retired 10 years. Oh, wow. And, and it's, to me, it's just an amazing, an amazing thing. And, uh, and I, when I look back, very few, if any, regrets. And when I look back, the, uh, the most significant emotion for me is if I could, I would do it all over again. That's awesome. wonderful and inspiring. That 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 is amazing because uh, Harry, one of the things uh, I, I always uh, 
reflect back with General Pagan is uh, I met General Pagan probably when he was a colonel, football colonel, and I was a, a dumb E7, you know, young E7 trying to, you know, make myself around. And one of the things that I always admire is that, that you, you look at leaders not only for how they behave, but also how uh, – when they correct you or they put you, you know, and I call it, they put you on your spot and say, hey, this is the way you should be acting. And, uh, and one of those leaders that, that, that I always admire is not only because he encouraged me, but he also put me to the side and said, hey, uh, this is the way you got to do. This is the way you got to do it. So you appreciate that as a young, you know, coming up. Uh, the other thing that I always appreciate is uh, I got to see him overseas wearing his star. And I was for me, it was like, Wow. This is something that I can look up and I say, wow, I could be there one time. So for me, it was awesome. So we talk about your success, uh, General. And I, and again, I know when you saw me in Colombia and you saw that I made CW3, you were very happy as well because you saw very me. Very proud. Very uh, proud. Develop. So what was the key to your success, sir? I don't think you could point to a single thing. And if, uh, and if we can... Assume for the sake of argument that I was a successful guy. Oh, you were. Believe me. I would, I would tell you that any and every task that was in front of me, I always try to do it to the best of my ability. And, uh, and when I look back, if I could sum it up in one sentence, I would say that I always tried my best to do no, no matter how trivial or, or how important a task, I always try to do my best. And I never ran away from the hard jobs. And you would, and I'm sure that, that uh, you and Harry can relate to this. I had my fair share of jobs that I really didn't care for. In a career of 31 years is impossible not to have some jobs that you go back and you go, boy, I never want to do that again. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that's, that's what did it. And, and, and I can never forget that along the way, there were some people in key places who saw something in me, but I'm not sure what, and they decided that it was worth their while to help me out. And I still stay in touch with a lot of those. Some of them are not living anymore. But uh, the ones that I can, I stay in touch with. And, and I never fail to tell them that I love them and that I, I am grateful for what they did. Because just like in the State Department, in the Army, the Navy, if you work for Sears or you work for Macy's, somebody is helping you get to where you need to be and nobody can do it alone anybody that tells you that they were successful and they did it entirely on their own without anybody's help it's it's either blind or a fool or maybe both great wow uh such humility sir did you ever think that you were going to achieve the rank of brigadier general Never in my wildest dreams. And I don't say that with false humility. I don't say that because it's something nice to say. I say it because I really mean it. When, uh, 
And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what my real career aspiration was. As soon as I was senior enough to understand what it meant, what I really wanted to be was a special forces battalion commander. And, uh, and for those who may be listening to this and don't really understand what that means, a battalion of Green Berets has about 400 men. Most of them, as you would expect, Green Berets and uh, a rather small unit with incredible capabilities and reach. And I said, I want to be a battalion commander. And, uh, and then, but not any battalion commander. I wanted to be a special forces battalion commander. And I, and I became one. And, uh, and I said, wow, I, I really lucked out on this one. And then when, when I commanded a battalion, my boss said, says, you know, I think you could be a group commander, which is the next higher unit equal to a brigade. And I told him, that's nice. Uh, I'm glad that you feel that way, but I don't think it's going to happen. And then when I was with Alex in Puerto Rico, and I was the ops officer for the Special Operations Command South, I got selected to be a brigade commander. And I said, okay. So I went to the war college, and I went straight to Iraq to take the flag for my unit. And I spent most of my time as a brigade commander in war. And then when it was time to leave, my boss said, you know, I think you're one of the couple of guys that probably get promoted in this next go around. And I thanked him <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thanked him for his kind words. And I said, um, okay, that's, that sounds good. And then I got transferred to Tampa working as the executive officer for the four-star general that commanded SOCOM and I got selected for general. So you don't know. And anybody that tells you that they have the short path to success is a, it's a fool or a liar. You don't know. And, uh, and hopefully there'll be an opportunity to tell you more about that. Awesome. This is uh, one of the things that I, uh, I always, uh, Cheers, which I got to see you wearing that star. And not that many Puerto Ricans or Hispanic get to do that. And correct me if I'm wrong, when you were wearing uh, that star uh, as a general, uh, you were the only active duty Puerto Rican in the United States Army. Is that correct? That is an unfortunate and sad truth. Uh, I mean, there were other generals in the guard and the reserves. Correct. And uh, but when I was in the army, I was the only Puerto Rican general officer in active duty. And that was an, it's it's incredible. So we're doing much better now. Uh, today, I can think of at least two that I know, and I don't keep track of that stuff anymore. But when I retired from the army, there were only four Hispanic generals. In a, in a group of over 300 generals in the entire army. And, and, you, and you can draw your own conclusions uh, from why that happens and, and how come we can do better. I got my own ideas about that, but 
Um, I hope we're doing better. I like to think that we are. But in my time, um, it, it wasn't really easy for a Puerto Rican, an active duty, to make general. I'll, I'll tell you that much. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. Welcome to the Spotlight. Back with General Hector Pagan. General, what do you think that there's so little Hispanic representation in the senior rank? That's a really... Really good question, and uh, and and I think uh, it's it's been very difficult to really pinpoint. And uh, and I'm an army guy, so you know I I feel that I'm probably better qualified to talk to you about the army than I am to talk about other services. But um, I, uh, I I'm going to pick a couple that I think are factors, and by no means are they exclusive or, or unique or, or specific to Puerto Ricans or Mexicans or African-Americans. I'm just going to tell you that I, I think one has to do with access. And when you, when you talk about that, and I've been talking about this for a long time, and when I say this, a lot of people will look at me with, you know, with strange looks because I don't really get it until I go into some explanation. For many years, we spoke of equal opportunity, and uh, we had equal opportunity programs. I remember that units, I don't know, they still do, they used to have an equal opportunity officer, an equal opportunity sergeant, NCO, we called them, and, um, and we got classes on how to recognize that we're different, but we should all be the same, blah, blah, blah. But I tell you, this is not about opportunity. This is about access. 
by rule, by law, by regulation, by tradition, by history. We should all have equal opportunity, don't we? But Correct. really, th this comes to access. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you a tactical, low-level example. When you are in a battalion, especially in a combat arms battalion, infantry, armor, artillery, you have a whole bunch of lieutenants. And there are certain jobs in those battalions that are key. And uh, so, from a technical perspective, everybody should have the opportunity to get one of those jobs. But the truth is that many don't. Why? Because they don't get access to those jobs. And why is that, you would ask? Because you bring in the human dimension of, 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 these, of these dynamics, you know? Um, institutions don't discriminate. People discriminate. And that's so we like to talk to people who sound like us. We like to talk to people who look like us. We like to be with people who act like us. After all, this is what we do in the Army. You know, we kind of break you down, we build you up, and, and we make a facsimile of the many others that are in the unit. And what happens, having said all that, is that you get the Hector Pagans and the Alex Morales of the Army, and we go in, and, and we find that a lot of times when we're given the set of keys, we're not given the keys to the doors that we really have to open. <laughs> so, so my counterpart uh, from, from Kenosha, Wisconsin comes in and he can open a door and he can get in the room. Okay. But Hector comes in and the key doesn't work. <laughs> and, and, and then somebody comes to me and he says, Hector, Hector, you're trying to open the wrong door, man. I said, but I want this door. Because behind this door is a job that I need. I said, but not now. You got to go open the door down the hallway. And there goes my access. Okay. Now, I was, and I, and I would say I was luckier than most. And, uh, but I tell you, if, if I told you that during those 31 years, I didn't feel sometimes that people didn't think I was good enough because I was Puerto Rican or you know, just for the simple fact that I was Puerto Rican. I tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the short anecdote. Uh, when I was in the basic course for infantry lieutenants, a well-meaning friend invited me to go hunting with him. And, uh, and he says to me, before we go hunting, we got to go get a hunting license. And, you know, I didn't know about that. You know, in Puerto Rico, we don't get hunting licenses to go hunting. We just go hunting. And, 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 uh, and he said, you should, you should be able to take your green card and, and get. Exactly. And, and, get your and, and I looked at him and I said some things that I won't repeat in, in this venue. I, I don't want the, uh, what is it, the FAA to shut you down. <laughs> or FCA or something. But I said. I says, I can't believe you said something so stupid. And he looked at me and said, and, you know, he wasn't making fun. He really didn't know. And he thought that Puerto Ricans had green cards. I said, look, man, 
I was born in Manhattan, New York, number one. But number two, even if I hadn't been born in Manhattan, New York, I still wouldn't have a green card because Puerto Ricans are American citizens just like you and your brother and your sister and your cousin back in Kentucky. Okay? And uh, so we, uh, we, we hit the wall and a lot of brothers and sisters from, from the Latin American world get discouraged. And, that's, and that is step one on the road to perdition. And you heard me right, perdition. Step two is you look around for somebody for a word of advice, somebody to sit you down and talk to you about what am I going to do next? And you look around and there's nobody, there's no Pagans and there are no Moraleses to help you. Okay? So if you're lucky, then somebody appear who is not Latino, a, a commander who is not Latino, is there to give you a word of advice. And I was lucky in that respect. Because I, I, I tell you, uh, I, I saw it in many different ways. I saw it in the ways that really make you sad and really make, makes you want to go and confront somebody and, eat, and even get physical. And, and I've also seen it when, when I traveled, especially when I was a general officer. And I would go to Latin America and I would see people that didn't know who I was. And, and they, they would look at me and obviously your listeners cannot see me, but the, uh, I would speak Spanish, and they would say, oh, so your Spanish is really good, General. Where do you learn it? <laughs> I said, I learned it at home. And he said, really? He says, how come? I say, because I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. He says, no, no way. And I said, yeah, yes way. Why, why can't I be a Puerto Rican? He says, because you don't look like a Puerto Rican. I said, what does a Puerto Rican look like? He says, I don't know. <laughs> says, I don't know, but you don't look like one. And then they say, well, you don't sound like a Puerto Rican. I said, well, what does a Puerto Rican sound like? I said, I don't know, but you don't sound like one. And then, and that, and that, would, be the, that would be the end of that line of questioning because, I, and I was serious as a heart attack. I said, you know, Puerto Ricans come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And uh, because we like to group people in little boxes. So if you tell me, you're from Germany. In my mind, I think white, light-haired, blue-eyed. If you tell me you're from Angola, then it says, okay, you're black. And if you and if you if you say you're Puerto Rican, then some people get visions of short, stocky guys, or whatever fits your definition. And I say, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong, and you're wrong. Okay, and and uh, but human nature being what it is, we judge people first by the way they look, then by the way they talk, and then by the way they act. We all do it, whether you realize it or not. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how you react to it? But but if you use that information to say well, this guy can be too smart because he speaks with an accent, then I've got a problem with that, okay? 
And, uh, you know, when I was a general, uh, my aide was a Navy guy, because I commanded in a joint headquarters. So it was a Navy guy that came from a Colombian family. And, uh, and it was time to let him go, because being a general's aide is a lot of hard work. So it was time to pick another one, and some well-meaning member of my staff came to tell me, well, if you're going to get another aide, you know, you, should, you probably shouldn't pick a Latino because people are going to start thinking that you're favoring Latino. And uh, so I sat him down. I said, let me explain something to you. Um, you're wrong. I'm not mad at you, but it makes me sad that you were wrong about that. You know, when it comes to hiring or firing, the way you sound or the way you look has nothing to do with it. It's about whether you can do the job, where you're doing the job. And that's what really matters to me. But we still hold on to those preconceived notions and we're still dragged that duffel bag behind us and we still think that we're doing the right thing. And, uh, and I, I saw it all the way up to when I made general. Some people who looked at me and probably thought, how come he made it? I don't think, I don't think he was that good anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and maybe they were right, but. You made it. That's important. But anyway, I probably gave you too long an answer to your question, but I'll pause for the next question. No, sir. That was great. Uh, I'm sure like you, uh, I often heard people say, hey, Harry, you made ambassador. What's the problem with all the other blacks? You know, yeah. why yeah. can't they make it? You know? yeah. uh, so uh, this, I, I'm really going to encourage my State Department colleagues and not only the Latino and black, but the Asian American community to listen to uh, this talk because they can all relate, especially when you're talking about access. Uh, Absolutely. But, what do you think that Hispanics, including Puerto Ricans, should do to achieve senior ranks, including general, as you have, sir? Um, and again, it, it really broad question. And uh, I was an Army guy, so I'm compelled to give you an Army answer. Because uh, I don't know enough to tell you what, what it takes to make it as a Navy Admiral or an Air Force General. But if, if you join the Army, um, traditionally, the people who get picked for general positions come from what's called the combat arms, infantry, armor, field artillery, those, those types of jobs, which coincidentally, and I can't prove it to you, I don't have the data in front of me, a, a lot of Latinos, especially Puerto Ricans, some join those branches. And uh, so if you, want, if you want a fair shot and you want access, as I said before, then you got to go in into one of those hard jobs where you're going to have muddy boots and you got to go and do the hard jobs and you got to do them well. You know, I worked, I worked for a four-star general once who told me, he said to me, he says, Hector, you want to know how I made it to this room? And I thought I was going to get some platitude and some, you know, uh, really <laughs> philosophical hama-hama. And he said to me, I always did what I was told. It is so 
it is so profound in its simplicity that is it to me is mind-boggling you know i always did what i was told and, and that sounds overly simplistic because you're supposed to be thinking and you're supposed to be critical and creative and i said yeah be all those things and at the end of the day do what you're told if you want to make it and uh and i think that's important and i'll save some more for our next segment well as the general said we'll be right back Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. Welcome back to The Spotlight. Uh, General, we were talking about what, 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 is, what are the leaders and how leaders behave in a uh, you know, and how leaders should be behaved. And you were talking in our break. Can you please share with our audience what you were talking about, when, you know, when you became a general and all that stuff? Go ahead, sir. You know, when, uh, when you become a senior guy, and, and Harry can relate to this as well, because, you know, he was an ambassador. People want to come to you, and, and they want to pick up your bag, and they want to do things for you because that's what we do. And, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a courtesy that you extend to your seniors. And... Uh, when I, when I was a colonel and a general, I, I wouldn't let people do that because there was a point to it for me and a point to the people that I served with because I never, told, I never told anybody, you work for me. You work for the organization. And I happen to command the organization. But you don't work for me. You work in this unit. Okay? And I would correct people. And I never said, I did this. I never said, I will do this. I don't do anything. You do it. And, and I try to give you good orders so you, so you can do your job. But simple things, you know, and, and my aide would come to my room if we were staying at a hotel. And he would say, sir, do you need me to check you out? I said, no, I can do that. Thank you, but I can do it. 
And if I bring my bag and, you know, he reached for it, I said, no, I, I can carry my own bag. And, and, I, and people start catching up on that because that's, a, that's an important lesson, uh, not only for leaders, but also for those who are led, that the boss is, carries his own weight. I, when I started getting into more senior ranks, I got sent to units that I really didn't know much about. And I grew up in the 7th Special Forces Group, which is oriented towards Latin America. But when I got selected to be a battalion commander, I got sent to the first special forces group, which is oriented in the Pacific. I had never been to the Pacific. In fact, I had never been to Washington State, where the unit was located. So when when uh, when I showed up in there and uh, got with a man in the unit, and I told him, uh, "This is it may have may have uh, appeared to you that I've never been to this unit before." And people just looking at me like, yeah, right, no kidding. And I said, but I tell you this, I was not a first group guy, but I am a first group guy now. And nobody in this place is going to have to carry my rucksack. That's, that's backpack for people who don't understand military speak. And, uh, and nobody is going to have to carry my rucksack. I'll carry my rucksack and you carry yours. I'll do my job and you do yours. And, uh, and, and that was... And that was always important to me because to me, the essence of leadership is don't ask anybody to do anything that you're not willing to do or that you haven't done. And, and if there's, if there's a, some heavy lifting to be done, you pick up the heavier load first and you put it down last. And you're the first one to rise and the last one to go down and you lead from the front and you're truthful and you're sincere and you, and you show that you care not only with words, but with actions. I lost men in combat and there's no heavier burden and there's no sadder moment in a commander's life than losing men in combat. And, uh, and when that happened, in Iraq, and I lost seven soldiers, and and uh, and those were sad. And I didn't try to be stoic, and and to, you know stand up in front of the man and say, you know, be like Patton, you know, and go put my hands on my waist and say, well, man, we lost some, we lost some of you, but there's still some of you left. So let's move on to the next fight. I just sat there, and I said. I'm so sad that we lost those men. And I cried. And, I was, and I'm not afraid or embarrassed to tell you that I cried because I knew those men. And I didn't hide to do that. And, wow. and, and I hope that somehow we have leaders in our army that still want to do that. You know, and, and I hope that, that when it comes to the true test of leadership, that we realize that this is not about you, it's about them. That was fantastic. I, I always tell the young folks that I mentor to read uh, a book about the Kiwis, the New Zealand uh, rugby team. And it opens where the man of the match is cleaning the locker room and then washing the clothes. 
something you wouldn't see our stars do, but it's a great lesson for what you have to do. But we'd love for you to continue on talking about what you were just uh, talking about with so much inspiration. Tell us more about leading troops in combat, if you will, sir. Well, the another another aspect is that there's a certain tendency, especially when things are not going well, for people to get excited, you know? And uh, when things were at their worst, that's when I try to be the, the, the most calm. And, and I remember my first casualties in combat happened around the 13th of September of 2003. And I was in Iraq and uh, I was in the operations center and, uh, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the radio feeds were coming through a, uh, a loudspeaker in the operations center. And, and, uh, and I could hear gunfire in the background and, and I could, and I started to hear, you know, one down, two down, one wounded, two wounded, three wounded, four, five, six, seven wounded. And most of the people in that team were hurt one way or another. And I'm not talking scrapes and bumps. We're talking seriously hurt. And those were, and I lost two men in that mission. In a mission that I thought was medium risk. Obviously, I was wrong. And, uh, but at, at the time that this was happening, people get amped up and, uh, and they want to start trying to do things. And, uh, and I was in the center of the storm, at the eye of the storm. And I, and I try to be calm, even though inside I was jumping out of my skin. And I, and I said, no, wait. Okay, it says, who's near that can go and, and support? Such and such. Okay, tell them to start moving that way. It says, have we launched Medivac? No, sir, launch Medivac. Okay, and, uh, and then... I resisted the temptation to start trying to control the action from where I was because you got to let your subordinates do their job, especially when times are tough. And uh, American soldiers are, are tough guys and gals to lead because an American will do anything you ask them to do, but they need to understand why they're doing it. So this thing that you see in the movies, you know, man, let's charge up the hill and everybody going right behind you that may have worked before, but that doesn't work now. So a soldier needs to know why you're placing their life at risk and you owe a good explanation about that. And uh, so I found that when everybody wants to get excited, you need to resist the temptation to do the same and just be calm and, and give instructions in short sentences and, uh, and just 
be a calming influence on those around you. And, uh, and, and those are lessons that I learned by doing because I don't remember ever reading any army manuals or any joint manuals or <laughs> any or any books about how do you, how do you do that when you're getting shot at. But that's 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 another lesson learned from combat leadership. That's amazing, sir. Uh, I, I, I think uh, that uh, says a lot about a leader. Uh, moving forward, General. I, I wanted to go back a little bit because uh, it touched me what you mentioned in the back uh, previously about, you know, I always saw to myself that, you know, we were, they always thought about me because I had an accent, not because of my qualification or my skills. So I really, uh, I really appreciate your pers perspective at the senior level, at a very senior level, that is something that we better work on. But moving forward now, I, I recently discovered, and, and this is something that shocked me, is that Hispanic, not only Puerto Rican, but Hispanic as a whole, fought in the American Revolution War, which I didn't know, to be honest, until a couple months ago. Uh, again, we can, we're talking about the Hispanic flank of the American Revolution in Fort Conde, and another sample is the Borinconeers. Uh, we can talk about Massasarian uh, uh, and Benavides. Benavides, exactly. Uh, we can talk yeah. about even the Puerto Rican Rambo with, you know, the, the nickname with 200 combat mission. Uh, my question to you is, why don't we hear more about those type of contribution? We don't hear enough because we don't tell the story. And the story is there. But, but you know, we are to blame for that. It is your fault. Good it, point. Is my, it, it is my fault. That, uh, that we don't talk about those things, talk about those heroes. And, and to add to, uh, to your tidbits of information about, about uh, Latin Americans, you would be surprised to know that Puerto Rico has more Medal of Honor winners than a lot of states in the Union. Look at that. Got, I didn't even know that. <laughs> we, got, we got some states in the Union that, that, I mean, through no fault of their own, but they haven't produced any Medal of Honor. Awardees in Puerto Rico, I think last time I checked, it was like seven, uh, at least wow. seven. And uh, and but we don't tell those stories. When uh, when the 65th Infantry was awarded the uh, Congressional Gold Medal, I was I was so overcome with sadness that it, it appeared that instead of looking for ways to make it work, people were just throwing roadblocks in front of it. And, and we're not uh, doing it, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I was asked to go help to, to spread the word. And, and in doing so, I had to learn a lot about the 65th because I was, you know, quite frankly, there was not a whole lot that I knew about it either. My dad served in the 65th Infantry in Korea. And, and, I, and I knew the stories that he told me. But... I had to learn. So the, uh, the way to fix that is that all of us need to know our own history and we need to tell it. Great. Wow. Great. So, uh, we can listen to you all day, but what would you recommend to a young Hispanic who wants to serve in our military? I would tell that person that uh, you really have to love this. 
This is a life that you have to love because in, in an army career, especially, again, what I know the most, uh, unpleasant things are going to happen because that's how life works. And so you have to love this life and you have to look for the hard jobs and you have to, you have to find the right key to open the door. And you cannot quit or get discouraged when people want to block you or want to stop you from doing what you want. And every day that you get up to go serve, you have to make it a point that this is a day that I'm gonna learn something that I didn't know yesterday. And you have to become better. You have to learn every day and, uh, and, and know what your strengths are, but also know what your weaknesses are and, and play to your strong suits, but do something about your weaknesses. It's not enough to recognize that you're weak in something if you don't do anything about it. It's of no use to you. That is so great. Well, sir, we're about to be ending our program. I, like Harry said, we could be talking to you all day because, uh, Again, I admire, I admire as a friend, as a person, as a leader, and of course, as a military officer. But because this program is uh, going to be the Veterans Day special for the spotlight, uh, why don't you please uh, take a minute and uh, provide a message, if you don't mind, to our vets uh, serving abroad, but also here in the homeland. I tell you what, this, this nation's freedom has been purchased with the blood of men and women who have gone to places that nobody else will go to do things that nobody else will do. And this nation, this great United States of America, owes an incredible, unpayable debt of gratitude to those who served. God bless all those who serve in uniform. God bless those who serve those who support those who serve in uniform and their families and God bless our country. And with that, here you go. Uh, General Hector Pagan, an American hero, a friend, and I'm honored to have you here. Thank you very much. This was the spotlight. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next week.